Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm Ulrich Purcell. Each week, we discuss different filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. And today, we have some guests with us. We have Ryan and Brad of Smart House Creative. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Is that okay if I say guys? We had a whole conversation about this, Ryan, about like when there's women present <laughs> saying guys. The only thing that's funny is that I have a masculine name, and so that's could just the only thing that could slightly confuse people, but otherwise the term guys doesn't bother me. Okay, good. I, I've kind of asked around this, the, the feeling that I get. Yeah, I um, feel like guys is acceptable. And it's like, I usually say guys a lot anyways, I mean, in, in all times, so. I'm sure someone could offer me uh, the feminist perspective on it and change my mind, <laughs> but without right. thinking too hard about it. What would it be? La- ladies and gentlemen? No, ladies is worse, right? Isn't ladies worse? I think so. Feels worse. Ryan, is ladies hey, worse? I, I don't know. I think ladies is okay if it's all ladies. <laughs> right. If it's a mixture, like... though. I mean, yeah, if it's a mixture of people, what do you say? Hey, people. Folks. Hey, folks. I see folks, folks. a lot. Folksy. Well, I, I say, Peeps. yeah. I say ladies and gentlemen a lot just because, you know, I think it's fun. But I was talking to a woman about this a while, a while ago, and they were saying, you can ladies is worse. Like, do you ever say gentlemen? I was like, I do say gentlemen. She's like, well, it's still worse. And so I was like, oh, well, now I can't say ladies anymore. So I've I heard pushback to gals. People have said, like, yeah. do you know what the origin of gals is? Stop using that. But ladies, oh. I don't know. It seems okay to me. Cool. Well, ladies is approved. I like it. But ladies singular, that's weird. <laughs> lady hey lady, lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true yeah that is like a that's a uh, very comfortable thing to say to somebody i mean yeah anyways let's get focused here um before we get into smart house ryan can you give us your uh, one minute bio of who you are and what you do Sure. I am a co-founder of Smart House Creative, and we specialize in marketing, digital strategy, and publicity for mostly independent films, but all sorts of creative projects. Um, And my background is in film marketing and distribution here in Seattle, Washington. Nice. Just to push a little bit on that, like what kind of um, film marketing and distribution did you do in Seattle? Sure. So um, for a few years, I worked for Typecast Releasing, which was an independent distributor that specializes in films from uh, the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, and then for about five or six years, I worked as the communications director for Northwest Film Forum, which is a cinema tech here in Seattle. Uh, and then I went on, I was the marketing head of marketing for Northwest Folklife, which is an arts festival, four-day arts festival every summer here, um, and then worked for a variety of different um, film festivals and uh, um, film releases, all doing their marketing and uh, distribution strategy. Nice. So it kind of seems like you're perfectly, you're in the right place because all your experience is in, is in this field. That's awesome. I wasn't sure if you're going to have some kind of like, you know, production background of any kind, but it seems no, like... No, you know, I, I when I first got to Seattle, I worked for our PBS station. Um, so I did work in, in production for um, about six months or so, but I really felt like my niche was, you know, after the film has been completed. Nice. All right, Brad, your turn. Go. One minute bio. I am uh, Brad Wilkie. I've been out in Seattle for a while after uh, spending about five years in the Army uh, out here at Fort Lewis. So started making films uh, up here in Seattle on my free time and then just naturally sort of migrated up here when I uh, got out, which was about 2004, 
approximately. So, so since then, made a number of short films and then started programming for the Seattle International Film Festival. Then uh, wrote some scripts, a uh, couple, one of them, uh, Camel Spiders, uh, was on sci-fi. So uh, kind of went into the, the Roger Corman uh, world of uh, B-movies. And that was uh, very enlightening and uh, a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, met Ryan and we uh, started Smart House and have been uh, working together for about three years now. And like coming from a production background of like making movies and stuff, like what made you want to go into uh, PR? It sort it sort of became like sort of the third uh, leg on a stool or something because you know the first part of that is making movies, so experiencing sort of the part of the industry as a filmmaker, and then the flip side of that sometimes, but you know in this case it's sort of that third piece or, or sorry that second piece is uh, programming for film festivals. So, you know, I programmed for SIF for, I guess it must have been eight or nine years. I took a year off uh, this year and I'm now the artistic director of the Portland Film Festival. So I know what it takes to make the movie. And now I see the process from the other side, like sort of what filmmakers have to deal with uh, after they make the movie. And, you know, seeing sort of like behind the curtain of how you know, those distribution uh, contacts are made and how filmmakers can navigate or not navigate successfully the, the film festival circuit. So the third part, if you're not making a movie, I feel like there's a lot of creative satisfaction for me uh, in marketing a film. You know, again, like sort of referencing that, that, that Corman or that William Castle sort of idea. You know, there are really no rules um, you know, there's legalities, of course, but there's no rules about how a film can be marketed or how it can connect with an audience. So, you know, I think it is almost as much fun as making the movie itself uh, to to market it and find new and interesting ways to engage an audience. I'm glad you said that because I feel like most filmmakers are only focused on the film part of it. We had Liz Manishill on the show and she, she talked a little bit about how like the marketing part of the film is also fun because it, uh, it gives you that moment to connect to your audience. Like n- while you're making your film, you're not connected, connected to your audience at all. You know, you're just like kind of living in this vacuum and creating this thing. But on the marketing side of things and when your film's out in the world is when you start to, you know, get reactions to it. Yeah, exactly. And you have to bake that into your planning and your strategy way back in pre-production. And, mm. you know, that's something that we always like are just, you know, sort of beating that drum a lot, like plan for this, plan for this. It's a, it's a four lap race and you're not at the finish line after lap three, which is, you know, what a lot of people think is, you know, finishing the film. And there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole last leg of the race after that. And if you're not ready for it, uh, with resources and, and money and time and everything, uh, you know, I think there'll be a rude awakening to, to kind of mm-hmm. see like what is required to even just make a dent in the, the yeah. zeitgeist. Well, I want to come back to how, how filmmakers should think about marketing when they first get started. But before we do that, I want to learn a little bit more about Smart House Creative, what you guys do, what the company's set up for. 
Um, can you let everyone know, like, give us the one minute bio, I guess, of your company? Um, well, basically, you know, just all the stuff that Brad is talking about is, um, you know, we're a company that exists to help people build and connect with their audience and to find the people who are interested in the work that they are making. Uh, we just felt that that was uh, a missing link in terms of um, when people got distribution and, and kind of thought that they had crossed that finish line and, and uh, gotten the, the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Uh, and then were really disillusioned with what traditional distributors could offer them. Uh, and a lot of dis traditional distributors even expected them to come with their own marketing plan and marketing budget. So we were uh, seeing ourselves as, as filling that gap for them and helping them make those connections. Because once they have some kind of uh, interested audience, that not only um, helps them to achieve distribution, because that's seen as a, a more appealing proposition for the distributors to take on a project that, that comes with a built-in audience. But if they don't, then they're well set up to go on to their next project with people who are already looking forward to the work that they're making. So you know, it helps them build a sustainable career as well. So uh, we just saw this as a big gap in the, the arts and film ecosystem uh, and saw ourselves as as people who could who could bring our skill sets from all our previous projects to uh, to help out and to fill that need. Mm -hmm. Can you give us like a case study of like something that you guys have done before? Like, because I, I, I heard what you said, but I also don't totally understand it. Yeah, you know, I think the, the one we recently closed here, the film uh, Second Nature, uh, mm -hmm. I think is a, a good example of all of these things kind of coming together. So, you know, it played the festival circuit and then uh, we got it booked here in Seattle at a, at an indie theater, the Arc Lodge uh, Cinema in Columbia City here in Seattle. And, you know, David, the, the owner there, took a chance on it and uh, it performed so well. It was his, it just... Uh, barely missed beating it at the, at the, uh, at the theater for the, you know, the four screens mm -hmm. for that weekend. So he actually held uh second nature, the film, I was going to say he held it over, uh, didn't want to be confused with the, uh, the bigger budget film there, but uh, they held second nature over for a second week, which coincided with its release on uh, VOD platforms, which happened uh, uh, earlier this week. So, and this theatrical release is happening without a distributor. Right. And just to explain, yeah, the director there um, had completed his film and then was, you know, sort of having trouble um, connecting it to, to get people to actually watch it. Like he had, you know, done the festival run and was sort of like, now what? Um, and so we were- Right. Did he have distribution offers? Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. So, so there's no distribution. You, you replace festivals, you're hoping for distribution, you don't get it. And so now you're like, well, what do I do with my film next? And so in this case, you said, well, let's four wallet in a theater. I wasn't get four an wallet. Yeah, we actually, um, that's something, you know, not to get too immediately into the weeds, but, you know, whenever possible, uh, we try not to four wallet. Um, and so it wasn't, that was, you mm. know, one of the things that worked out really well for the film is that because of our relationships and the way, you know, we're coming to this as marketers. And so we can sort of explain why someone should book the film because there's a marketing team that comes built in with it. 
and it, it gives an incentive to to uh, bookers uh, to actually bring it onto their slate and, and not for wallet uh, because mm. we're saying like we've done our research we know who who attends your cinema and this is the demographic for this film and and we think that we can get them to show up so uh, so in, in this case yeah that that was um, it was not for walled so uh, money was actually made. Wow, so that's awesome! So you guys got the movie in the theater for one week, and then you did like a marketing strategy around that theatrical release for a week, and then you were able to get um as as, as many butts in the seats as needed to actually turn a profit. Correct. Yep, it was held over for a second week, wow. and then it actually just became available on demand, and so now we're riding that enthusiasm and buzz and all the reviews and attention that it got during that theatrical run. Um, and now it's uh, brought to the, to a national audience, and so we're able to um, you know bridge that and, and build that interest up. Well, here's a question: So when you do that kind of deal with a theater, what what is the the um, like what is the deal? Like, how much money do you get back as a filmmaker from having your movie in a theater like that? So we did this for our our own film. So the first film that we released under uh, Smart House Films. Uh, Chatty Caddies, that played probably six or seven uh, cities in the fall of 2016, which we also booked. Those were not four walls. What we learned is that for the splits, you know, as they were called, you know, usually it was like 40-60 uh, in favor of the venue. Uh, every once in a while, it was 50-50. So in this case, with the, the film we were just discussing, it was 50-50. And then, you know, it's gone down. I've seen, you know, been offered 30% uh, of the door. So it's basically just a split of the box office. And then they send the, the box office report after the screening period is finished. So you can see what the, the actual real ticket sales were. And then you invoice, you know, the, the theater. Uh, just for people who may not be familiar, can you guys d uh, define what four walled means? Uh, sure. It's just the four walls of the, the theater, the, the cinema. So you're renting those four walls so it's it's very you know sort of like a transactional process and you rent the four walls and you can screen your movies you know five times or three times or as many times as you want you know it's basically like you are taking over that screen and you know in order to turn a profit of any sort there you you have to like sell out almost every show and if you're marketing you know the the show on top of that the you know the odds of a an in, you know an actual independent filmmaker um, being profitable in a four wall situation are you know it's very very low. Um, yeah, I had some friends that made a documentary about coffee and they traveled around the world with it and did four walls and yeah they they told me they had to sell out every single screening just to make money. Yeah, and that's a lot of pressure and it's often not even feasible. So right. Man, there's so many directions we can take this conversation in. Ulrich, what's on your head? Well, I, I want to go back to the nitty gritty, man. Like, we haven't really talked about what, like, as filmmakers, like, what should we, what should we be prepared for? Like, let's say I have a $100,000 movie that I'm trying to make. Um, how much money should I be putting aside for public relations? Well, before we even say about the, the PR budget, I would say cut your budget for the film to 50000 right off the top. <laughs> Why do you and say that? Well, so, so here's sort of like what we have seen from the production side and the marketing side is that 
the more like unless you're really seeing that production value on screen in some demonstrable way the the economics of what you can make on you know like a limited theatrical release and then what you can make with your VOD even if you're wildly successful is often not even close to covering your budget and your you know your production budget your marketing budget so like for every additional dollar that you spend in production that's three more dollars that you're going to have to make back you know down down the road so you know that that just is always like i'm a much more like conservative minded person when it comes to like the dollar amounts that are put into a yeah, film yeah right well, I guess just so, to, yeah. so it's clear who Ulrich and I are, we we tend to make films in like the, the sci-fi, horror, fantasy genre. So there's always like some sort of special effect or visual effect in our movies. So it's hard for us to like get it super, super low yeah, because, yeah. you know, we feel like at $50,000, you should probably just be shooting a drama or a comedy with just actors and locations. But then we always have some fantastical element that we stack on top of that. Yeah. Well, thanks for clarifying that because that is exactly, you know, I think if you are going to put a, a bigger budget towards something, it should definitely be a genre film, uh, you know, sci-fi or horror. Like if we're just looking at it from like the again the economics of the back end of everything, because you know multi million dollar indie dramas have to have a launch pad like Sundance or you know a big star, but you know that's still not a guarantee. Like Ryan mentioned about how game the star has to be about helping promote the film, because sometimes the name alone is not going to open it, especially for you know, an independent project. So, you know, that's sort of like point zero is really be cognizant of like what that budget looks like before you get started, because it's just going to get bigger and bigger and it's going to increase the, you know, sort of the, the responsibility or the stress of delivering, you know, if you actually care about, you know, film as like a commercial art and not just a, a mechanical art. So yeah. So okay. So Alric and I are making a hundred thousand dollar horror comedy in the vein of Evil Dead. How much should we set aside for PR? Um, yeah. So so I guess the yeah, the big distinction there would be um, uh, how much are you setting aside for your ad buys? Um, and that's something that you know is is equal to if not double what you would set aside. I think for the actual fees of the people doing the outreach for you. So uh, like a uh, agency like ours. Um, and so I would, you know, I think the, the going amount is something like 10%, um, which seems like about a pretty good. And, and that actually, especially for an agency like ours, that's used to working with, um, independent filmmakers, um, that'll take you a long way. And that will be, you know, you could have, um, some work with people like early on in the process and then also save something uh, for your larger release. Um, if you're thinking of opening in multiple theaters, uh, you need to have uh, like it would be I don't want to say a quarter of your budget because I don't want don't want to make it seem like it's that formulaic <laughs> but in this case I would yeah. say you'd probably want twenty five thousand okay. dollars um, if you were opening up in in major in in several theaters around the country just you know managing all those different markets so um, but it, it seems you know like uh, that's you know and I, in this case ten thousand dollars seems like a, a comfortable budget 
Um, and I, again, don't want to focus too much on like a percentage or a formula because it really doesn't, there's, you can scale it down to a certain extent, but it's not like, you know, you're, there's a, some point of, of returns where, you know, there's this magic percentage of your budget that makes sense for, you know, if you've made a, a $10,000 documentary, you can't just spend $1,000 on the marketing. So, um, <laughs> right. yeah, so I would it doesn't that's, scale you know, up like that. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and so that would be for like, a um, a national PR campaign, um, social media strategy, and um, a certain amount of ad buys within that budget. Mm-hmm. Okay, within the 10,000, in- including the ad buys. Uh, I would say a modest, like there would be some percentage, maybe during your festivals. But if you're releasing nationwide, um, I would say you'd probably want, like uh, like I said, at least matching that, if not doubling that for an ad buy so budget. So another 10,000 for ad buys. So 10,000 for the PR itself. And then another 10000 for ad buys. Yeah, and this, again, is like over the course of the film's lifetime. Uh, we definitely work for a lot less than that for just coming on to one portion of it. Um, so if you were just looking for uh, PR support at your festival premiere or something like that, um, it would you know it, you wouldn't need ten thousand dollars for that. Right. Uh, so, but this would be like a, a comfortable nest egg to have for um, you know for a year of your film. So you know the, the festival premiere, maybe a little bit of support um, for other festivals. So you know different big ones if you get into um, an exciting festival festival that you think has a lot of uh, uh, audience potential there. Um, but saving the bulk of it, I think, for when there's the the maximum potential for conversions to sales. Yeah. And then as you scale up the budget of the film, like sh- you, I'm assuming you just need to keep putting more money towards marketing and PR because you're going to need to recoup a bigger investment now. You can. I mean, uh, this is like, like there's so... Uh, Every film is different, which is frustrating for us because it makes it hard to just, you know, <laughs> give a one one size fits yeah, all right. to everybody. Um, but you know, to a certain extent, you're just throwing money at something, and that would be, you know, we're we're pretty upfront about that sort of thing, where we're like, you know, I think we've done everything we can um, at this point, especially you know, in terms of working with the media, because you know, if there's if you're just getting hard nose, um, and or you've already gotten uh the the coverage that is within your reach and so you've already gotten uh, a slew of reviews and now it's two months after your premiere so or your release so there's not really like that's the opportunity that you have to get reviews and once that window closes there's some like bloggers especially if we're still talking about this hypothetical um horror comedy um there's just there's definitely like people who just love these movies and will continue to review them for you know in perpetuity uh, but if you're looking at like the film industry press, you know, if you wait two months until after it's been on VOD, they'll ask you like, why would I cover this now? And then you have to start getting creative. Um, And so, you know, at a certain extent, you know, like we would definitely say like, you probably either wanted to send this, spend this on straightforward advertising um, or wind this down. Um, The other thing, you know, you'd be more strategic about like, wait until October and save some of your budget to do something around Halloween. But, um, but yeah, definitely more money does not necessarily always mean more results. Mm, Okay. And then I I noticed there's a free quote button on your website. So for yeah, and we do that uh, because we do have some packages available. Um, not to make this about a, a hard sell for <laughs> using our services, um, but but um, it's just because every film really is different to a certain extent. And a lot of times people are like, you know, I have a social media person, I feel good about that, um, or you know, like I 
like, you know, I, I don't feel like this film's going to review well, so I'm not looking for media outreach and stuff. So to make it, to give like a, a firm number, um, I think wouldn't, wouldn't be a, a service uh, or extremely helpful to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so let's go back to this horror comedy example. Let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars. Let's say we listen to everything you say and we're like, okay, we've got another $20,000 for our ad buy and for our PR and let's go let's do this so what happens next are we are we going to do this Ulrich, at the beginning of our process before we let's shoot say it? We're, we're, right, let's exactly. say we 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 raised our budget we have our money we're about to shoot our movie we want to hire you before we shoot what happens next <laughs> sure brad you want to take yeah. this one we can yeah, go back so and the, forth you know the the next step usually is is that we would sit down with you or you know over the phone or or whatever and find time so that we can sort of put our put our brains together and think about what some of your top level goals should be during each phase of the the production so you know during pre-production you know it's not immediately essential to to have everything up and running and to you know to be putting stuff out on four or five different social media platforms but but really to be really thinking about how each of these pieces can potentially uh, connect and inform the overall project. And, you know, are you going to be doing stuff that, you know, could exist in a multi-platform uh, story universe or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, where, what, where are those compelling hooks, right? Because we're thinking about it from a, a digital marketing standpoint in a strategic way, but also from, you know, like what are those future, uh, you know, media outlet pitches that we could start developing, you know, during the the pre and the the production process. So, you know, it's really a lot of uh, strategizing and thinking about where all the pieces are, and and again, like what all the pieces are before you can even start to think about how they might fit together. So, right, you know, that's that would be the and phase I think one. The yeah. question for Ulrich, though, really quick is. Um, and this might help you answer this question better. What's our goal, Ulrich? Are we trying to make money off this movie? Are we trying to get uh, famous? Are we trying to get agents? And and why can't it be all? Why can't it be all those things? Why do, <laughs> why do I have to say pick money over success? Like with like you know getting a name as a as a filmmaker, you know, our production company, a director. Like why does it have to be wow, one or the other? I want to, wow. but I want I I want to know what the difference is like in in their approach. Like is it easier to do one or the other? Is it easier to make money or is it easier to get uh, notoriety? Like or is it equally di- dif- difficult or like? Is there a reason why you want people to tell you what what their focus is? Well, yes, uh, it is equally difficult. First of all, to answer that, to answer that part of the question, and you know, it often, almost always, comes down to, you know, the quality of the the film. You know, I think when you're thinking about goal setting, you know, we we kind of like you can kind of break this down into two separate areas, and you know, one of our sort of driving philosophies is uh, filmmaker first is what we call it. And it's basically saying that, you know, you as a filmmaker or as a production company, as a team, have a body of work and you're establishing a body of work. So you're, you kind of become the, the top level topic, so to speak, or the, the umbrella brand, if you want to call it that, like just to use like more of like a marketing slash business uh, terminology. But 
that idea of, you know, positioning your team as uh, filmmakers that are going to be telling an interesting story or have a variety of interesting stories. And this new project is one element of that, that world that they're building or that universe. And so, so one is like placing it in context. So thinking about your goals from that perspective. So from a filmmaker first perspective, you know, I think we could come up with some of those goals. Like, you know, how do you define, uh, you know, um, you know, not necessarily notoriety or fame, but, you know, like your sort of like influencer rank or, you know, that you've sort of like, you're been acknowledged as a member of something, right? Like, so there's like a, a right. baseline that you can set, you know, you could set a financial baseline. Like you want to make a hundred thousand dollars as a screenwriter next year. If you say we want to sell 12,000 DVDs to Walmart and get it placed in Redbox then you have a different set of goals. So you, you know, you figure out your break-even numbers and, and then add some percentage for profit onto that and say, you know, by December 21st, we want to have sold 15,000 uh, DVDs and Blu-rays. And then you, right. know, you can track that and you can see like what, you know, are you on track for that? Like how many are you selling per week? You know, how many VOD sales are, you know, if you want to sell out your world premiere somewhere, you know, so it's all about like putting uh, timeframes on these things and then having like very specific, you know, focused goals that support, you know, whatever that bigger vision your, is. Your you. bigger goal. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's hard because like for most filmmakers, like it's a very clear goal. It's like, I want to make my investors happy, you know, get a return on their investment for them. And then uh, be able to make my next movie and then make this a sustainable process where it's not like I just made one movie and now I'm done. And I got to start figuring out from, you know, square one again, how to get the next movie made that hopefully this first movie will help me make the second movie and the second movie will help me make the third movie. And then suddenly I'm just making movies for my, my full time career. And, you know, that's and it's all just kind of supporting each other, you know, and then you're, you're getting return on each movie that you make. Um, which I can understand that's like a very like kind of vague, broad goal, right? Like that doesn't really help you when you're talking about specific goals. But I guess the question is like, what would be some more specific goals that you could set as a filmmaker that would help you reach those, that larger goal? Well, yeah. So I'll just quickly address that. And then Ryan, you can add anything if you want to, but, um, you know, looking at it from my own perspective as a screenwriter, like it's a really a numbers game. So, you know, stuff that I've worked years on hasn't gotten as much traction for me as stuff that may have been turned around in three months. So, you know, it's, it's not necessarily like you don't want to, I don't think set a goal that says I want to have an agent by such and such date, because that is a goal that you have, but there are sub goals within there that are going to determine whether or not that's a possibility, even in like a, a random, you know, out of the blue sort of scenario. So the, the goal that I would look at is, you know, I want to write four screenplays in the next 12 months. And out of those four screenplays, that's going to increase your chances, you know, just by the numbers of, having one of those resonate with somebody, you know, and you have to target which person, you know, like all, all that kind of like strategic thinking. But 
it gives you something that you can actually achieve that's in your power. So, you know, you can decide whether or not you want to write four screenplays in 12 months, but you can't decide whether or not somebody's going to buy that screenplay or one of those or all four of those. Right. We, we talk a lot about like trying to not think too much about the results and only think about the things you have control over. So I kind of like what you're saying there. It's like if the ultimate goal is to get an agent and a manager, you don't really have control over that. But what you do have control over is how many screenplays you can write in that year, which increases your chances of reaching that goal. Yeah. Yeah. But for filmmakers, it's like, you know, what are we going to make four movies in a year and like somehow raise the budgets and somehow have the time to do production? Cause like, you know, for yeah. me, it's like, you know, writing is part of what I do as a filmmaker, but being a writer isn't the ultimate goal. It's like making movies as a producer, director, or one or the other. That's the goal. So, but raising money is extremely difficult and um, takes a lot of time. So, I mean, I, I, I kind of already know what you might say is like, rather than trying to make hundred thousand dollar movies, Make fifty thousand dollars movies, or twenty five thousand dollars movies, or ten thousand dollars. <laughs> right, if you have a hundred, if you can get a hundred thousand dollars, then make four twenty five thousand well, dollars movies. Yeah, but it's just like, but then the quality is not going to be there because, like, you really want to, <laughs> if you want to have a quality that you're proud of and is is up to the standards that you're setting for yourself, trying to do that with twenty five thousand dollars is extremely difficult. And, you know, it's, I don't think it's sustainable because you can't really pay people at $25,000. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about filmmaking as a, as a sustainable filmmaking, you've got to figure out a way where you can pay people a, a wage that they're willing to do it for, you know, three weeks or so. And that, you know, it's not like just a one-time favor that they're, they're never going to do it again for you. So you have to make the experience wonderful too. So there's just a lot that goes into trying to, to get this done. And I just feel like $25,000, especially for sci-fi <laughs> horror genre type movies, it's just, it's just not enough money, you know? Yeah, no, we'd have to like switch over to like dramas or comedies. We'd have to do Duplass Brothers. Yeah, stuff. yeah stupid Mumblecore stuff. So, <laughs> so here's, I just want to add one caveat to that. Um, is, is that, yes, like I, so, so that's actually not what I would recommend um, in this case, especially knowing like, you know, like the, the type of work you guys are in, like the genre uh, stylings of that. So like, instead of, you know, saying like, let's take that budget, that $100,000 budget and make three lower budget movies, because like, that would be a good goal if your like primary sort of driving force was making money, right? So, you know, especially like in the video uh, VHS boom and like, you know, when driving, the, you know, like they needed content to fill screens and it was, you know, kind of like a Wild West period. And, you know, people were just making shitty movies and throwing them on VHS and people were paying eighty nine ninety five for those movies. And it was like a, it was a gold rush, right? So, you know, that is one way to approach it. But when you want to, add in that additional sort of layer of, you know, quality and artistic, you know, pursuit or sensibility, like you're saying, like some sort of aesthetic, you know, sort of framework, then, you know, you got to move those budgets back up. So you got to figure out where you are in that continuum. But I think if you have a set budget and as a filmmaker, as a somebody who's producing a film that's going to be watched eventually and not writing something, which is just like one part of that process, you know, I think what that focus or what that goal would sort of be is to even spend more time strategizing and thinking and making sure that that, 
that one chance in those three years is as great as it could possibly be because you're right. Like the, the odds of like getting another chance to do that, most likely it's going to sort of hinge on the success of that first one. So, so I think if you are looking at it from like, sort of like a, like a long play perspective, which I think is better for a director versus what we described there for a screenwriter. But the place where those both are connected is in the fact that, you know, it's, it's measurable and it's stepwise and you put a time limit on it so that you can say, I'm making progress toward this, you know, epic sci-fi that is going to launch my career. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's just, yeah, it just seems tricky. You know, I build whole things tricky, right? Like, you know, making movies is hard. Uh, promoting movies seems like it's very hard too, you know? Um, but just, just to kind of switch gears a little bit, um, I was going to, I wanted to know kind of more back to the specifics. Like, what do you guys do for, um, like social media? Like what, like, let's say we take that, that same example, that horror comedy, a hundred thousand dollars. We're going to have the $20,000 budget for the ad buys and for your time. You know, we're, we're hiring you before we shoot the movie. What do you do for our social media campaign? Assuming that we don't have anything at, at the time. Yeah. So the, the first step there would be to, uh, you know, sort of do like a kind of a, a digital audit to see like what, is there already. So if you are starting from scratch on a project, then we could say like, well, what exists already on your personal networks? Like, you know, how active are you on Twitter? Like, do you have an Instagram following? What, you know, what does that look like? If you've got a production company and have done shorts, but this is your first feature, you know, how, how is that architect, you know, like how's that organized and the, the web architecture for that and kind of make sure like all these pieces are integrated and connected either directly or sort of in an implied manner of like what will work well with something else. You know, it's, it's really kind of like getting a baseline and then, uh, you know, adding or, or taking away the, the essential or non-essential elements. And then after that, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of creating that, plan. So pulling in the the goals that we're talking about, the metrics that we want to be focused on, and then, you know, kind of saying like where each of these things will happen. Like, you know, there's no need to to start tweeting, you know, three months, you know, like while you're writing the script or something and be like, you know, hashtag now writing like 800 times for like, you know, two months just because you want to have like, you know, some sort of activity. Um, but but during the production of the movie, it might be a good time to start tweeting, right? To like start showing like little shots from behind the scenes or yes. little stories, things like that. Maybe little videos from the cast and crew. Yep. You know, whatever, that kind of stuff. For sure. And those are all things that you can then use again uh, when you're marketing. You can, you know, package the creative differently. You can use them as special features. You know, there there's all sorts of stuff there. But, you know, like to begin sort of that process of the the digital and the social strategy it it really is like you know again like starting from those goals and then adding best practices and then um crafting those or refining them i guess is a better word for the unique needs of that particular film and 
where it's going to exist in the overall marketplace. So, so here's an, a specific question. Like, like you were talking about, like, you know, looking for what you already have online in the digital landscape, you know, like if you're, you know, have other short films that you've made or you have a Twitter handle or, or whatever, all those kinds of things. Um, like, do you pull users from those different channels into a new, um, like, you know, Twitter for the movie or, you know, Facebook page for the movie somehow? Like, like, is that something that you guys work on or focus on? Or is it more like, you know, you just see, a, oh, he has 400 or he or she has 400 followers for, you know, this this movie or 400 followers for that movie. And, oh, they've got like a thousand followers on their Twitter account. Like, you know, can you actually harvest those people and put them together into one, like, you know, one user base? Or, or is it more like, do you just have that knowledge to, you know, to know like how many people are paying attention to this this one individual? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both. So, you know, I think like ultimately, like you want to have a very strong mailing list uh, of emails. So, you know, that that's going to give you direct access to your audience. And that's always going to be like, you know, I'd say like one email is worth, you know, 10 plus Facebook fans because they're not seeing all of the content that you're putting through Facebook. Facebook's limiting that based on different things that we really don't know what those are. So it's hard to kind of game it or even, you know, work with it. Um, so, yeah. So on social media, that's a much more lighter touch. It's those, uh, those connections don't go as deep, but when you start bringing in uh, paid and boosted Facebook posts and tweets, you can start um, moving into uh, different audience segments that might be aligned or somehow adjacent to in their interests uh, to something that's in the film. So, you know, this is kind of like where we sort of integrate the digital and the social and the, the publicity part and sort of the two start kind of creating a kind of a positive feedback loop. So, you know, stuff that's that Ryan's finding, she's sending to me and I'm seeing stuff and I'm sending to her and, you know, it, it sort of becomes like a, like a, you know, like a holistic process instead of like a, a siloed process. And and will you guys actually manage the um, the accounts for the movie, like the the social media, like the Twitter, the Facebook, um, you know, whatever accounts you set up for the film? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we kind of set up uh, these these service agreements in. Uh, a la carte style. So, you know, we can do strategy for social media. We could do a content calendar or we could manage the whole thing. And, you know, depending on your budget and your needs, you know, you can kind of say like, okay, well, we don't need full management, but we do need a content calendar because we don't know what to post. So, you know, cause we'll have an intern that can do that, but we don't know what. So can you kind of get us most of the way there? And then we'll be like, yeah, Sure, we do this and, you know, so. Um, and what kind of success have you guys seen with um, running social media campaigns? I mean, do you get hundreds and thousands of, of Twitter followers on your accounts? Or, I mean, are you guys buying people or is it all organic? Like, how, what is your process for, for using social media? Yeah, so, you know, one, you know, we never buy followers. And the reason for that, one, it's a, you know, well, there's a couple of reasons, but probably a lot, but the, the big ones are, you know, so it's a waste of money because 
oftentimes the platforms can can see like when these like mass you know numbers of fake accounts are being created and applied so you know they often will you know filter out those fake followers so you'll just have like literally wasted your money um you know, but the other thing is, is like those followers aren't going to be an engaged audience. And, you know, as, as I said earlier about looking at rates as opposed to numbers, you know, I'd much rather have like an audience of a hundred and 90% of them like bought the stuff I wanted, you know, like that I, that I wanted them to buy or I, or took an action that I asked them to do than have, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of like, you know, like a thousand and a, you know, there's a, you know, like a, a fraction of a percent that's less than whatever that 90 would have been in the first scenario uh, to take action. Because, you know, like you could say like, well, which one is, is more effective, which one's better. And, you know, I think almost in every case, those 90 out of 100, those are like true fans and those, you know, can be ambassadors, they can influence, like you, you never know. So like I, I, don't like to focus on total numbers. You know, if you get into sort of an arms race for followers, it it becomes less and less meaningful. So what I, I would suggest focusing on is quality content, but not necessarily pinning all of your hopes to growing a large organic audience. You might do that if your film is like, you know, strikes a chord in that moment with a very specific audience and they just take it up and people love it. You don't have to do anything hardly at all after just like sharing something. But in most cases, you are going to have to uh, pay to play, especially on Facebook, because your early posts are only going to be shown to like 10 people, 20 people. And they're mostly like people that already are well entrenched in, you know, your filmmaking world, or, you know, it's usually friends and family. So in order to get outside of those, you know, in you know inner circles of, of fans and move to the farther out concentric circles, you know, Facebook forces you pretty much to pay for it, and you know to boost your posts, and then you know you have to target your post. So so it's a you know it like like I'm I'm trying to convey here is that I think there's a lot of different ways to define. Like what you would like, what I would consider a, a successful approach to, you know, kind of like your big picture social media elements. But, you know, I think the the biggest thing is is, are you able to reach the audience that is going to want to interact the most with your content? Well, I I can speak for all filmmakers that one of our biggest struggles is finding an audience, and just talking to you guys, it sounds like. You have to put the work in, do the research, and be very strategic to find that audience. It's not really just like blasting things out there and hoping people grab onto it. You have to kind of target and find those people. Yeah, absolutely. So Ulrich, time for last questions. What do you got? Well, this is sort of going back to something we talked about earlier, um, just as far as like, you know, when you're getting into film uh, festivals, like by hiring a firm like yours, like, will you actually help us, us as filmmakers get into film festivals or is it more like once we get in, then you can kind of help us promote it from that point? Uh, 
So from the festival perspective, uh, no, like we, like, I wouldn't want you to screen at a festival that would like trade on that sort of influence. Um, that's, that's not how it should work. I might recommend that you submit to this festival and then I would be happy to say, Hey, so-and-so take a look at this movie. If you can, they submitted it. Here's the film freeway number. Right. But you're not right? going to slip them a hundred bucks and being like, Hey man, no. you know, if you could get this in the festival, we there might be another hundred bucks by telling you to not submit in the yeah. first place. But once it's in a festival, is it money well spent to get the word out and try to get more people to come see your movie there? Or is it better just to use the festival as kind of part of the PR machine to build buzz around your movie? So when you do get it into a place where you can make money off of it, then that's when uh, the word of mouth from the festival helps push those sales. Uh, that doesn't seem like an either or to me. Um, maybe I misunderstood the question. Should you spend money when your film is in a festival to get the word out about it? Or is it better just to let the festival do all the promotion for you yeah. and save your money to like a later date? Gotcha, gotcha. Um, it, uh, I think if you're in, if it's your premiere or if it's a major festival, uh, especially if it's an industry festival, uh, meaning that they have visiting industry uh, people from distribution companies and uh, maybe different uh, press, like IndieWire is going to be there or something like that. Uh, you absolutely should spend some money. Um, and, and again, I, I'm not sure if I already said this, but especially if it's your premiere, uh, there's just so many movies uh, that that are going to be playing and and people are are it's really only going to pay be able to pay attention to the ones that are knocking on their door and coming to them and making it easy for them to preview it or get the images they needed uh, so much of what you see, you know, some things like people can truly make like a, a movie with a great pitch uh, and catch people's attention. Uh, we have a film right now that's about to play at Fantastic Fest called Love and Saucers. That's about a, an outsider artist whose art is inspired by his encounters with uh, extraterrestrials. Uh, and with a, a log line like that, you know, that that's really captures people's attention right from the beginning. Um, and so that one is, you know, it's, it's nice that people are coming to us saying like, like we want to watch this movie, uh, but there's you know more often than not, if you know if it's not like the new buzzy Aubrey Plaza movie or something like that, um, people you need to explain to people why they should be interested um, and make it easy for them and and meet their deadlines and and get them everything that they need. So um, so I would definitely say you know for your premiere and for bigger festivals. To be budget conscious, I wouldn't do it for every single festival that you're in, um, and that's something that we can also help you decide. Uh, if you're in a market like Austin, um, or even a market that um, that has a, a healthy uh, amount of press, but maybe not a lot of competition, then that could be a nice. It could be a nice way to get a, a nice review of your film. Um, if it's a New York City film festival or LA, uh, it's really tough. You know, if it's not a major film festival, to try to break above the noise and get someone there to be excited but you know if you're playing in um a mid-sized city this could be a nice way to get some some coverage uh because you know like um a city like seattle for example although the seattle international film festival has upwards of 300 feature films so it's really hard to to stand out but um but in but a, a festival like seattle has a, a large press corps who wants to see and review your movies so you could have like a really nice review from a well-respected seattle newspaper that you can take with you at uh, after that well, cool. I mean, 
this is an interesting conversation. I wish we had like a very specific film to talk about for the entire thing because it does sound like it's such a case by case basis. So I guess if there's anyone out there that is interested in this kind of stuff and wants to talk to you guys further, the best place is probably to go to your website. And should they fill out that like get a quote thing? to start with or is there an email or phone number they should call i think it all probably goes to the same place so (laughs) (laughs) they can fill out that form and and you know ignore the fields that aren't relevant to them and it'll still find its way to us yeah cool okay well besides your website at smarthousecreative.com where else can people find you? you are you on twitter facebook you know things like that yep we're on twitter our handle is at team smart house uh and we're on facebook as well and instagram Nice. Awesome. And we'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes. Um, before we take the, you know, do the outro and end the show, do you guys have any last words, any last things you guys want to say? Uh, you know, I, I, like I always <laughs> would have a last word, but I just want to thank you, uh, both of you guys for, for taking the time to talk to us because, you know, Ryan and I love talking about this stuff and getting this information out, you know, as on as many channels as possible to filmmakers so that they start thinking about those things uh, those sort of unknown unknowns. And those are, those are like usually where the, the showstoppers are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is like definitely one of those conversations that's getting me to think there. I don't, I don't feel like there's a lot of answers in here, but it's definitely getting me to think about stuff, which I think is a really important thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was hoping you guys are going to have a bunch of answers <laughs> for us and like, yes, you hire us and we'll solve all yeah. your problems and your movie. will get, get an audience and, Get distribution and you'll be a bona fide filmmaker. No problem. Right. There's there's no silver yeah. bullet. But Damn I know. It. Well, there never is. Is there? Like there never, never is. is. <laughs> there never is with this stuff. No, so that's, frustrating. Yeah, it, it is frustrating. And that's you know we're doing. Uh, so here in Seattle, there's a local sightings film festival that uh, Northwest Film Forum puts on. So it showcases local work. And next week we're doing a, a we give a presentation that we've done at a lot of film festivals and different you know, filmmaker meetups and various places like that uh, called Bridging the Indie Gap, which basically like walks people through a worksheet, which is all questions. And they put the answers in that will help inform like, you know, where to find their audience and who their audience is and what they need on their team. You know, what's missing on their team, where are they going to find it? Um, You know, all, all sorts of stuff like that. And you know, I think that is like generally frustrating for everyone that, you know, each of these things have to be approached from sort of a a, a, a positive inquiry sort of thing where it's yeah. like, there's not like, here, here's like the, the recipe for success because it's different all the time mm-hmm. and it no longer looks like it used to even five years ago, much right. less 20 right. years ago. It's not enough to just make a movie and say, I made it for myself. I'm the audience. Right, right. It's like, great. Well, that doesn't help. Yeah. It sounds like what filmmakers should do is like find a company like you, your company that does this kind of thing, sit down with them early on and discuss strategy because, you know, like there's probably a, there is a story with every movie. There's always something special about every film. So it's just up to finding that thing that's special and then going, going ahead and, and, um, you know, Leveraging exactly, it. leveraging it. I was going to say pushing it out to the to the universe, but leveraging is probably a better word. You're the pusher guy. I'm the leverage guy. That's okay. okay. <laughs> cool. Um, all right. Well, thanks so much, Brad and Ryan, for being on the show. Really appreciate your time and yeah, your expertise you and everything. 
Thanks for everything um, you guys are doing to make the process just a little bit easier. We're trying. We're trying to <laughs> yeah. find the answers. Yeah. Um, you know, there just seems to be a lot of different answers for a lot. You know, the same question. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We're, I think we're get, we're getting we're getting somewhere. We're figuring it out. Yeah. Um, cool. But thanks for everyone for listening. You can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find links to the things that we talked about on this episode, includes, including you know the movies that um, Smart House has, has repped and projects they're working on. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH Podcast. And please, if you like the show, you can tell a friend, help us get the word out, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and we've got a couple ones on there, new ones that we're going to read out, hopefully on our next uh, solo um, episode, but gosh knows when that's going to happen. Um, yeah, who knows? So keep, keep them coming. coming. <laughs> yeah. And then about the emails, yeah, if you guys uh, have a topic suggestion, question, critique whatever yeah you can send us an email and you know either we'll read it on the show or not read it on the show whatever you guys want um and yeah thank you guys so much again for a wonderful episode thank you all right thanks a lot bye-bye